Hi everybody, this is Pete coming in for another episode of the Athletes Resource Podcast. Today's episode is going to be focused on emotions and it is based on a listener question, which to paraphrase it was something about how to activate different emotions during sport practice or competition, um, how to activate, how to use different emotions like anger or calmness to gain a sense of power, to gain a sense of control. So I'm going to try to not be long-winded about this, but I'm going to try to to frame it in in a story. Um, So this weekend, this was... uh, so during the weekend, so this is October 27th, I'm recording this right now. During the weekend was the CrossFit Games. Um, so I was glued to my, uh, my phone watching that for most of the weekend. And um, just as predicted, um, women's champion and men's champions both uh, repeated and won the CrossFit Games again. So on the women's side, Tia Claire Toomey. On the men's side, Matthew Fraser. Um, some people might have found it boring. I found it awesome, amazing to watch and how dominant they are. And when I think of emotions and their application to sport, I, I think about um, specifically Matt Fraser and watching him become the athlete who he is now, how dominant he is. And what I track back to is, if I'm remembering correctly, and I might be getting this wrong, it was the 2016, I think, that he came in second at the games for the second time. Um, I'm actually going to look it up while I I have it here. Um, Matthew Fraser, CrossFit Games. trying to see if it was... 2016 or 2017 where he came in second for the second time because that's really where I begin kind of this understanding so yes it was 2016 the 2016 season where he first takes first at the CrossFit Games if you go back and watch tape on him this is when they had regionals if you go back and watch his how he carries himself going onto the competition floor, what his nonverbals are like, what his facial features are like. Um, He is angry. He is noticeably angry. You You can see him muttering to himself uh, right before the competition start, and you can see... What, what it looks like to me is that he's, he's using anger to, to pump himself up. If you've heard him talk before, he's talked about how that 2015 season for him was devastating, that even though he took second place, he was completely dissatisfied because he knew within himself that he, he, could, have, he could have gotten that first place position um, he had the capacity, he just had to clean some things up, which he did. 
And so going back to that, you know, it's clear for him that different emotions serve different purposes. And for in that time in his competitive career, anger served that purpose. If you watch him now, he, at least on the surface, looks very different. Might he actually be experiencing some of the same emotions inside? I don't know. I haven't talked to him yet. Uh, but he's not... Uh, the anger isn't as palpable uh, now, uh, now as it was back then. And you do see it in, in other athletes um, across time. You know, if you watch the documentary The Last Dance on Michael Jordan, you know, he basically utilized um, anger to kind of get revenge on the court against people he felt slighted by. Like Even if you said the smallest thing to him in passing, he would take it to as deeply offensive and remind himself about it again and again and again and again before, the, before his game and during the game to just create that, uh, to feel powerful in his play. I've heard other athletes over time talk about this. Uh, one is Dick Butkiss, who was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Um, he would sit there on the sideline and imagine players on the opposing team saying bad things about him and his family to get himself amped up. So many athletes have used emotions to get themselves ready to, to improve their play. And when I first started thinking about this, this was actually before my formal education in sports psychology, but um, I did have you know, quite a lot of education on um, the psychodynamic tradition of, of psychotherapy which is this a fancy word for um, how our very early experiences um, influence, have different levels of influence on um, how we navigate our reality and uh, different aspects of ourselves deep down inside. And in that tradition, uh, one of the types of psychology psychological theory is self-psychology. And those are uh, psychotherapists and theorists like Otto Kernberg. But in their writings, they they talk about the difference between organizing and disorganizing affect. So affect is a fancy word for an emotion. Basically, the idea is is that for certain people, um, certain emotions have what we would call an organizing effect, meaning that they, they bolster a person, they, they strengthen their capacities, they, they help them navigate life. And other emotions have what we would call a disorganizing effect, meaning that they contribute to a person feeling helpless or a person feeling weak or a person feeling tired, or even in certain levels of, uh, in, in certain cases, when a person feel disorganized, feels disorganized by an emotion, their capacity to reality test, meaning to understand uh, and accurately construe what is happening in front of them becomes impaired. One emotion we know uh, for many people 
regardless of their early experiences, um, can contribute to uh, like a disorganizing um, experience is shame. That shame for a lot of people um, leaves them feeling weak, less than, um, doubtful within themselves. But then, you know, to fast forward in time to more of the formal education on sports psychology and coming across uh, information and different types of assessments on how emotion is utilized and can be utilized in sport. And there is a not only an assessment, but a, a theoretical model called the individual zone of optimal functioning. If you just type that into Google and you hit images, what you'll see is like a little graph that pops up with different peaks, almost like a like if they if if they were to combine like a like a bell curve and a mountain. That's what it that's what it looks like. And basically what the assessment looks at is what specific emotions, depending on the athlete, depending on the sport, um contribute to optimal play, get the person where they want to be, to, to execute, to perform, and what pull them out of that zone. What they categorize as more like dysfunctional emotions. And what's really interesting and cool about this model is that what they have done is, is depicted that it's not just positive emotions that can can help athletes optimize their play. It's also emotions that we would we might categorize as negative. So an example of this is uh, when they aggregated scores on uh, this measure for, for the example of ice hockey, that specific negative emotions that many hockey players endorse as being helpful to optimizing their play are anger, feeling tense, feeling intense, or some level of dissatisfaction. Some negative emotions that took away from their play, took away from their capacity to optimize and execute, are feeling lazy or tired or unwilling. But this intervention also shows the positive side. So what positive emotions can be helpful for athletes in that sport? Feeling energy, feeling motivated, feeling ready, alert. And then positive emotions that might get in the way of them playing the way they want to play. So some of those emotions, according to the research, are feeling at, completely at peace, overjoyed, easygoing. In hearing this stuff out loud specific to hockey, we can understand, you know, we can imagine why some of these things might not be helpful for a hockey player about to take the ice, but they might feel helpful for a, uh, an average person who is just trying to navigate whatever time in their life. That feeling easygoing outside of being asked to be a competitive hockey player might be helpful. Um, so... The whole piece about emotions is that it's complex in that, at least regarding this zone of optimal functioning paradigm, that um, 
it really, not only does it depend on the sport, it depends on the athlete. That athletes in working with a professional are just being a bit more introspective and look, looking within if they don't want to seek uh, professional help are really, you know, taking notice about what emotions are, what emotions am I feeling when I feel like I'm performing my best? Of course, the, um, the model we, we just talked about, the individual zone of optimal functioning, like that's an assessment that you can complete with a professional where its output lets you know what emotions are most helpful for you. Um, depending on your, your, your sport and the context you're in. Um, but under, gaining an understanding there, right? Because, and that changes over the course of time. That the emotions that might have felt helpful for an athlete when they were first in their career might, might have changed. They might have changed because of how, uh, our role changing in the sport. It might have changed because we have changed as athletes, maybe because we've, we are, have had more time in the sport, maybe higher levels of confidence and experience um, change the emotions that would help us f- optimize our play. So maybe, you know, just for example, taking the example again of Matt Fraser, perhaps he is less angry when he goes into competing Perhaps he's more centered now because, I mean, he just won five CrossFit Games titles. So that puts him as the quote-unquote fittest person alive because he has won more titles than any human since the CrossFit Games started. So perhaps, this is all hypothetical because I I don't know him, but um, perhaps anger serves less of a purpose and more of it is just... Uh, confidence in trusting in his capacity, trusting in his, um, trusting in his training, trusting in his in his efforts, trusting in his in his will. And so, looking looking within for an athlete can can be helpful, and and even just journaling during uh, practice or games, you know what. What could feel helpful? What what are what are some of the options? I, I do think that specifically for emotion, it is a good idea to 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 work with a professional to to determine that because emotions are pretty tricky. Meaning that, and we've talked about this um, in uh, previous podcasts, but it's a whole skill set to be able to notice you're feeling something based on maybe what are the thoughts and sensations you're feeling in your body, and then to label that as a specific emotional state. Some people can do it. Some people, take, some people it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. And for those who, where it takes practice and they know that it's going to, that that's something that they struggle with, working with a professional uh, is, might be a good idea. And so what are ways that we can actually activate different emotions once we know the ones that could be helpful? Self-talk, right? Being able to come up with phrases or different metaphors that target what, 
what you are looking to evoke, what specific emotional state you know is helpful. And maybe for certain athletes, because of their competitive context, they need to be able to switch between different emotional states at different times. Uh, like I think about specifically competitive barbell sport like powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, where for a period of less than a minute, you're asked to lift something really heavy and then for the rest of the time, you're supposed to relax. And there are other sports that are like that as well. Like you just kind of wait for your, for your name to be called and you go up there and you're expected to perform. So it, in those times, it, it, is, it can be very helpful to learn how to alternate between these states. And again, how we do it is practice. And one of the ways we can do it is by interventions like biofeedback. So for people who are unfamiliar with what biofeedback is, um, biofeedback is a tool or intervention that basically anyone can use at this point in time uh, that very briefly, um, what typically, uh, especially now because people have um, things like um, Apple Watches or um, heart rate monitor straps that uh, you can sync you can sync those devices to for example your phone and through apps uh, that you can download for free um, <clears throat> they can uh, track your heart rate and uh, one of the apps that I've been taking a look at is called elite HRV um, they offer a biofeedback option within the app the app is totally free I am also, I probably should say, I have no relationship to Elite HRV um, financially or otherwise. It's just a cool app that I came across. But for example, if you go within that, that app and you select biofeedback, you can select a different um, breathing intervention to accompany the biofeedback exercise. And once you start it, what you'll see is your heart rate being tracked on the screen. Another uh, object on the screen that will cue you as to uh, the amount of time that you're going to inhale and the amount of time you're going to exhale. And when you're doing that activity, right, you can tailor it to what you want. So you can tailor it to feeling calmer. So if that's what you're looking for, you want to try to keep your heart rate as steady as you possibly can by regulating your breathing. And so why it is called biofeedback is that you're, you're actually getting uh, feedback from what you're seeing on the screen to let you know um, how your body's responding to the exercise. And what people will often find when they do the exercise is that um, in times where their heart rate is spiking, they're not actually focused on breathing. Their, their mind is somewhere else. It's, you know, thinking about fill in the blank, whatever. And so you can tailor the biofeedback to being calm or you can tailor it to feeling energized, feeling intense or an emotion. And then you can tailor it to alternating between those emotions, right? That through working with a professional, you can use a device or use a program where you have 
you practice times where you focus on practice being calm, utilizing the breath, and then practice getting to that emotional state that would feel helpful for you, right? Based upon what you have decided. And then you practice getting there. You can use imagery. You can even use the breath to achieve that state, to get closer to there. And then you can also practice once you've gotten to that state, once you've been able to experience that emotion, coming back down to feeling calm again, coming back down to that relaxed state and alternating between those two states, learning how to basically uh, wield your emotions like they're a tool going into competitions. Those are options, of course, right? Um, but really what I talked about there was, was several options that were all incorporated into one specific intervention. But the intervention I talk about, talked about were biofeedback, breath control, imagery, self-talk, right? These are all ways that we can, or our athletes can consider to um, evoke a particular emotional state. Now, so we talked about ones that are optimizing play what if athletes are experiencing emotions that are getting in that are getting in the way of their play that is where you know we might consider a other techniques like again relaxation exercises or um, more zen or mindful or metacognitive based approaches to the experience um especially if it's something like pregame jitters. The idea being that um, if we're able to approach it mindfully, meaning that uh, we can notice when we're feeling them, we can label them for what they are, we just allow them to be the A word acceptance, and we approach them with balance, we just breathe into the experience. That method of approaching the jitters or approaching fear, or whatever it is, over time decreases the threat valence of the experience within the body. Meaning that over time, as we practice relating to the emotional experience differently of fear or jitters, that it just becomes less threatening. Right? Uh, meaning, you know, you've probably heard this before, but it's basically teaching your body how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, that the experience is okay. It's okay that we're having this particular emotion. It doesn't have to mean anything other than an emotion. I can still go play my game. I can still go out there and execute. And I can just allow it to pass through me versus trying to avoid it, tuck it aside, which often just kind of keeps it going because we're, we're not even noticing that it's there, so we can't do much about it. So to summarize, you know, emotions are complicated, right? Meaning that there isn't one specific emotional experience that's going to work for everybody. To go back to the listener question, maybe anger works for some people and doesn't work for others. Maybe it depends on the specific, the if they're able to identify anger as helpful, maybe it's specific imagery tasks regarding anger that would feel not helpful versus helpful. And so it takes work and it takes time 
Um, and this is why I think regarding this work, uh, working with a professional can be helpful because it, it's nuanced. Um, keep the listener questions coming. You know, I really appreciate that. Not only does, uh, not only does it feel good to know that there's a, a person or persons listening, but it's good to know that uh, people are feeling involved and engaged in, in the information that we're putting out there. So, um, again, I appreciate you listening. Whoever my listeners are out there, uh, keep the listener questions coming, and I will do my best to keep up with the listener questions with posts and podcasts. Be well.